Arteta! What a Pep is bald. 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 This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner did that live, so I don't know how it came across. We'll find out. Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. How was it? Yeah, yeah, good, good. As, as as someone who's not yet follically challenged, I, I really appreciated it, and I'm going to hold on to that while that's true. Yeah, let me, let's be honest. This is not a thing against bald people, but like I heard Arsblog refer to Pep being bald, uh, so I think I'm allowed to refer to it, and, and we love all people of all hirsutenesses, if that's a word, of all follicle abilities. I'm, I'm on the way. Yeah. I'm on the way, don't worry. No shame. <laughs> I think Clive's beat you to it. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC, hello, Clive. Hello, hello. There, there is a rumor out there. I have no hair at all, but that's only a rumor. Hey, I mean, that that's totally fine, too. And that can be a lot of fun for, you know, your partner. But so um, do, you don't have a problem with identifying that Pep is bald, I assume? No issues at all. Good, good. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to picking apart his team. Yeah, let's pick him apart. Let's pick him apart. Like, like, I don't know. What's his name? He used to pick his nose in his bottom. Who was it? Was it? Um, uh, Yogi Love. Y- y- yeah, Yogi Love. Uh, anyway, that's disgusting. I'm sorry I even brought that up. <clears throat> Look, what a day. What a week. Fresh off hammering Liverpool with a scintillating performance. No, all right, maybe not. But fresh off beating Liverpool, we then do produce the performance to match the result. And I think that is why whatever euphoria we felt over beating Liverpool, okay, it's the league and the league feels like a done deal, but we might have been more euphoric about it had the performance matched the result. But the city, the city win. A cup semifinal, big occasion to begin with. Any win will do. But to do it, not just by winning, but winning in a way that felt deserved. In a way that, look, I'm not going to say we blew them off the pitch, but tactically, perfect execution was good. Quality performances all over the pitch, including from people who have come in for a lot of criticism and I think deserved criticism. There's so much here. And look, I just want to remind everybody who got mad at us for Emery podcast number one. We all wanted Arteta back then, and boy, are we glad we've got him now. Uh, not to dig it, pick it old scabs, but what a, what a great day, and what a day to make you feel that there is really something special at Arsenal again that can get you excited. So we're going to really dig in to this, this performance and this result. And so, Clive, I'll start with you. One of the big calls here was the decision to start Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and uh, you had a great tweet about it pre-match. I think, un- unfortunately, there were a few moments in the match where counterattacks broke down because he didn't have the final ball, and and I think that caused people to maybe lose sight of what I thought was a heroic performance at the end of the pitch where we needed him the most. How how did you react when you saw that Maitland-Niles was picked, and how impressed by him and proud of him were you for the way he answered the call yeah ex- extremely so as we as we do these podcasts over the last few years i've tried my best not to align myself to any particular player either on a good way or a bad way because mm, i think people then <laughs> people then tie it to you sometimes you tie them to me Elliot. so like and it's like oh so anything you say from there on in is then like not not seen as balanced so this is a player that i like why do i like him 
I like him because I think he can do a lot of things on a football pitch. He can play off either feet first time and he can carry the ball. He's got exceptionally light feet. By that, I mean when he has to change direction, he changes directions really fast and can get up to speed really quickly. And I'm talking at the highest, highest level. He's probably our fastest player on recovery in, within the team. And Aubameyang's probably quicker going forward. But when going backwards, there's nobody quicker. And for me, I, I, I keep looking at him. And I keep looking at him versus the fastest players. And I'm thinking, you can take him. You can take him out. You can stop anyone you like. When you have somebody that's really good at something, you just got to build on that. Now, yeah, he has a couple of uh, issues potentially with crossing and final ball. But, mate, I never worry about that stuff because that is just calmness. That is just calming down. That is just calming someone down in the moment of pressure. But I do feel some of the criticism of him has been really quite lazy and unfair. Mm. It's the classic thing where you get a, a young player, and I will say it, a young black player who may have an attitude problem. People are quick to leap on it and say, well, there you go. He's turned up late multiple times. He turned up late once and apologized for it and, and sat on the bench for it. It doesn't mean he's a bad individual. This is a player that's been in our academy for since way back when, since he was a under 10. And basically, we should be absolutely supportive of a player like that, regardless of where they end up. Just be supportive of the ones that have actually won the lottery and got through the multiple levels of review every two years to get to this point. And so, yeah, I'm really pleased, not to not for any justification on the football player, because I, I know the football player. Mm. I'm not saying he's going to be in our team forever and a day, but I'm really pleased that he came out under pressure. But those people are going to think he's going to end up at Birmingham City, stuck it straight up to them and said, I'm a top-level premiership player. This is what I can do against one of the best two or three teams in Europe. On my wrong foot, on my wrong position, and how many other people can do that? I mean, to flip our analysis round on this guy, I wish he would stay because I think in Arteta flexible football going forward, when footballers are just tools to a system and a process on a particular day, what better player than him to be able to deploy on certain days, on a certain system, on a certain day? I think it's really important we flip ourselves around on analysis of players, systems, and what they can do for you, rather than looking at what they what they can't do. Two left foot crosses behind the goal. So what? Look what he done to Kevin De Bruyne when he went across the face of him. He just bodied him off. Said, "See you later." Took it right off his foot. De Bruyne's head just dropped. Who's doing that in the league? Not many people. That's what we need to be focusing on. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you something. I mean, yeah, the fact that he got the crosses wrong on a few occasions. I mean, certainly, it's his weaker foot. Crossing isn't easy, let alone on your weaker foot. There are a lot of uh, very skillful footballers who don't use their weaker foot for anything. Um, his job was to shut down Mares, and he did. There was an awesome meme going around on the internet. You know his the bird catcher thing? It was him like from his bird catching video, except he had caught a, a little Mares in his hand, <laughs> um, which I loved. Um, yeah, he just did brilliantly. He, he let him beat him to the inside one time. He maybe played him a little too strongly to his... Right, and then Mares cut in and had the shot that Martinez uh, Martinez saved saved well. But otherwise, a masterful defensive performance. And the irony, if you asked me the weakness in Ainsley Maitland-Niles' game, I'd say he's not a great passer, and that is that is something he has to improve on. He had some nice little close control um, 
wriggles out of out of pressure in our own half and and played some good balls in the midfield, but there was the one slip ball to Aubameyang. He could have played him in and didn't quite get it right. All right, his passing is imperfect. The irony is for a player who says he wants to be a winger, doesn't want to be a fullback, or maybe I'm going too big on that statement, that that was the rumor. The thing he is exceptional at is tracking a man, being physical with him, taking the ball off his toe. I mean, he's such a good stand-up tackler. So I think he deserves huge credit. And we're going to go through this game player by player. I think this was a day of heroic performances across the pitch. I want to make sure we leave no stone unturned. And then we can also sort of look at the tactical battles and how they played out. But uh, Tim, I guess I'll give it to you. If I'm going to let um, Clive wax lyrical about Maitland-Niles, I have to let you do it about David Luiz. I don't think... Mm -hmm. There was any hyperbole involved in how we were discussing Louise on the back of the way he had been playing. Because it's not just that he'd been playing poorly, but he looked like he was disinterested. The irony, of course, is that you you have said he's not a bad defender. And there was a part of me that was sort of like, are we sure he's not just a bad defender now? Um, <laughs> he turned in a masterful performance that was a combination of leadership the distribution we, we specifically identified recently, by the way, the thing we're not getting from him is that is that distribution that we thought we'd get. He played Aubameyang in for that first chance that Aubameyang couldn't quite put away, and he defended heroically. So uh, go on, defend your boy. Yeah, what what we saw is that David Luiz, uh, David Luiz, when he's on it, David Luiz at his best is a world-class defender. And that's why he keeps playing for big teams and why he's won big trophies. It, it's no like that. I, I don't have any additional insight into David Luiz. We all know who he is. We all know that um, he's largely a really good player who has, you know, a moment in him every now and then. But I think what we underestimate is that as much as he has a moment in him every now and then, he has a world class performance in him. Um, as well, every you know, maybe slightly more often than every now and then. And at his top level, he is absolutely superb, um, both as, as as a footballer and a defender. And it's it's why I, I I just don't buy the you know he can only play in a back three. I mean, I know he's kind of doing that at the moment, but I've never bought that. That that's not the issue with Louise. With Louise, I think it's more of an issue of focus, maybe. And in this game, he was focused. And when he plays in a back four and he's focused, he's brilliant as well. He can defend space as well. He really can. But I think what we saw today, and, and in terms of his distribution as well, I think because the plan was so focused about playing out from the back, what we didn't see was sometimes he gets too excitable with that long diagonal. He he can hit them really, really well. But sometimes he just, I don't know if he gets a rush of blood, he just, he just spanks the ball and it just like flies out of play. And and he wasn't really doing that. And I, th I think because there was such an emphasis on building from the back and he he can do that as well. So, yeah, like I, I wasn't surprised by this performance at all. He's he's pulled this kind of performance out many, many, many times in his career. Look at j just go on Google and have a look at what Chelsea players said about him after the 2012 Champions League final when he played uh, with an injury um, and one man of the match. And was absolutely superb. And, you know, he, he has that in him as much, if not more than he had, which, which is not to say he doesn't deserve his reputation or or that he doesn't have like the rickets in him. But he is not a joke character. Um, Tim, you know, he's you, 30. Sorry, yeah. man, did you hear in the game when pre-game when Pep was praising him, when, uh, when the press were trying to get Pep to rubbish him in his press conference? Mm. 
he just basically started to praise him, say, what a fantastic player, fantastic guy, blah, blah, which tells you what other football people think about him. And yeah. I think some of the press around him is rubbish, mate, to be honest. To, yeah, yeah, to it him. is. And he's like, like David Luiz's entertainment, right, in his own right. I've said this many times before, how his mistakes travel more than other players. And, mm. and very, very honestly, it's kind of because he takes risks and that's why managers appreciate him. Um, I, I'd say like, um, you know, Pep went for John Stones, right? Went big on John Stones. And I know John Stones isn't really playing at the moment. It looks like his career is on a, on a downward slide. But, you know, Pep wanted John Stones because he wanted that risk taker and he will accept the mistakes that come with that. Same as a goalkeeper who who takes risks. But, um, but, but I also think it's Louise's hair. Honestly, I think that that is a small element um, of it as well. But, Yep, we saw we we just we saw him focused and he can defend. Yeah, and I I mean I I think that it is difficult when a player produces a performance of that quality to contextualize what had gone before. But sometimes that's not important. The important thing is that he did it. He did it on the day and hopefully he has one more in for the cup final. Um it also makes you feel a little bit less distraught about him being here another season, which is nice as well. And you look, you saw the leadership. You look what he was doing with Maitland Niles at full time, right? He's, he's grabbing him by the shoulders. He's giving him that pep talk. That's, you know, that that's important. You have to have that in a team. Um, we're going to come to more players who are excellent. And, and there are so many to get to, but Clive, one of the things that I think was important in this game, and I said it in the instant reaction pod, the way I phrased it is big boy football gets big boy rewards. And what I meant by that is, you know, we, Against Liverpool, we just never really got out. And as a result, we didn't create much threat. Now, we won the game, so who cares? But against City, we created threat. And the way the reason we created threat is because we played our way out. And as nerve-wracking as it is, and as much as you might want to, you know, tear at your skin when you're watching the, the goalkeeper fiddle with the ball in his area, that first goal comes from an immaculate period of play out from the back. So... Talk me through how we were able to draw City's press in and beat it by playing out from the back and how important it is to have a commitment to that philosophy. Yeah, I, I mean, I must. I don't know about you, but I, I, I was so excited about this goal. When he went in, I got up and ran out of my seat in my football club and just ran around the room because it was the ultimate team goal. So what you have when you're coaching you have what i call defensive philosophies right so and they could be press delay compact you know keep us a level of depth and distances but one of the key things that you heard me talk about before is regain retain right so so what you do when you regain the ball and then what you do when you retain it and so when i was a younger lad i was watching some professional coaches they would always shout out when she won the ball, they would shout out the call, first two, first three. What they're saying is, once you regain it, can you keep it for three passes? Because normally when you when you win the ball, you're outnumbered. So what you have to do, you have to have other philosophies called like, almost like you run, you run to support, you run to distract, you run to com- keep the ball, right? So, so when you get the ball, a player wins, player A wins the ball, the first thing you've got to do Everyone knows he's got to get three passes. So if you're near him, what do you do? You move off your line to create a line for him to see you. 
Now, what happens is, this is the scary bit, and this is what Arteta did, and this is what got me so excited. Because he knew we would be stressed and fatigued, the regain-retain thing, the best way to do it when you're tired is to do short five-yard passes. Of course, we're watching it as fans. We're going, oh, my God, why are you doing three five-yard passes in our box multiple times? That literally goes against everything we've been brought up with. Everything in our DNA says, get that thing away from my goal. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what he is now driving the philosophy in is to say, no, don't do that. Five-yard passes, get around him. Keep it going. Don't, this is ticker tacker style. This is Rondo style. Keep it, keep it, keep it. Wait for the gap to go through the gap. Once you get through the gap, run with the ball, commit the man, move the ball on. So that's what we did in this game for that first goal. We kept it. We kept the five-yard passes going, even back to the goalkeeper. Eventually, it goes out to David Luiz. And what does David Luiz do? He runs. He then commits the man. It then goes out to Tierney, and Tierney turns into flipping Ronaldinho, pings a pass into Lacazette, and the rest is the rest is history. That pass is but so to, important, by the way. It's the uh, one we it, haven't it, had, right? Into the central space, between the lines, someone dropping in to fill that space, and, and yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect, and it was instant. It's like touch, hit, straight in. Lacazette rolls around to the right. Bellerin takes it in stride. What does he do? He runs. He freezes his man, commits commits Mendy. Mendy now, you're thinking, what's Bellerin going to do? I have to, I'm frozen. He goes out to Pepe. Pepe's now got a yard to do what he likes to do, which is whip the ball in diagonal to Aubameyang, and Aubameyang Bruce leads it into the corner, right? So, I mean, from a, from a football perspective, I don't think I've ever been more excited watching an Arsenal goal, because that's telling you he is driving his own playing non-negotiables into this team. This is what we do when we win it. This is how we support each other. This is why our support line runs. This is what we do when we're tired. This is what we do when we have expansive space. I mean, mate, I don't. I just think that's one of the best Arsenal goals I have ever, ever seen. Perfection. Well, and it Absolutely. wasn't done against Norwich either, right? I mean, it's done against Manchester City, who, who can take it off your foot in your final third and you're picking the ball out of the back of your net two seconds later, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The key is here, win it. But I know Michael Cox did a bit on it today, but he sort of touched on the not giving it away. But it's really winning it. But what I thought was really interesting was the assurance we showed once we won it in that goal. We, like, won it and we slowed them down. So when you get the first three passes off, what you're doing is actually killing their non-negotiable, which is win it back in six seconds. So you've now said, no, you're not getting it back. And what they did, they dro- didn't know what to do. They dropped away. They didn't fully press. They thought, well, they're not going to keep this up. They'll make a mistake soon. And we didn't. And whereas this is where Arteta was so smart. He says, I know what they want to do. They want to press us off the ball really quickly like they did early in the game. But we're not going to allow them to do that. We're going to keep playing it, keep risking it, because eventually we'll get through. And we got through. And, of course, it's really important that you finish off. So he actually used one of our defensive non-negotiables to kill one of their transition non-negotiables in one hit. And so that that's why the value of that goal was heartbreaking for Man City. And I think the only way they could respond was to up the intensity, which I did in the second half, but we managed to hang on and get the second goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that whole thing for me is all about how we play, which makes this guy so exciting mm. because... Just imagine this with better players. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. I would love to see that. Um, 
Yeah, well, all right. So, so Tim Clive mentioned the the ball that Tierney plays in the Lacazette, and I mean, he has two really important passes in this game. He had more than two passes, but he has that one in the Lacazette, mm-hmm. which creates the first goal, and he has a through ball into Aubameyang that creates the second goal <clears throat> from a period of play where he had played it out from the back to begin with. He could have been man of the match. There are a lot of candidates for it, but I think that that passing that I, you know, if I was critical of anything with Tierney early on, it was just that he could he could run up and down the wing and and recover and get into the final third to play crosses and and he, he has that good cross but I wasn't sure what his his sort of possession passing looked like. You could argue that the pass to Lacazette that that Clive identified is is almost more important and more impressive than the one to Aubameyang because it's less obvious and harder to play. And it's what we talked about, no access to central spaces, not getting working the ball through the middle of the pitch. Lacazette deserves credit for dropping into that position. And I think mm. Tierney deserves a lot of credit for picking it out and playing it to him because it's it's a high value pass that has risk. If it gets picked off there, obviously you you're in deep trouble. I was really impressed with Tierney. I'm, is a long way of saying it. So uh, a candidate for man of the match for you. And and you know mm-hmm. what about his game really stood out? Yeah, I, I mean, I think what really stood out definitely the pass. Like we, and I think we probably expected when we signed him, we'd get like the just from the Scottish stereotype, basically that we'd get, (laughs) that we'd get like a committed defender. Um, and you know, we, we knew that he liked to get up and down and we've seen early on that he can get crosses in and things like that. And, and, and that, that's all really, really good. But yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think the passes are what really stands out first off because you're not getting that from Kolasinac, um, at left, at left center half. Um, and actually whether, we might have stumbled on it a little bit here, but he's just perfect for that hybrid left centre-back, left-back kind of role. Um, and what we've kind of fallen into here as well, with with him being so secure in that position, um, it makes Kolasinac more dispensable, I think. Um, but also, it, it makes that left wing-back role really interesting because Tierney can play it. We know he can play it. For games like this, we can play Maitland-Niles if you need to do a defensive job. So if you're up against Mares, Traore, Maitland-Niles, you're up against an inverted winger, you can put Maitland-Niles on him. If you're playing a team where you expect to dominate, you can play Saka there. So we've got we've got a couple of options outside of him, and he can get up that flank as well. So all of a sudden, we've opened up a couple of potential game plans for ourselves, and we know that Tierney can play... An, because he can play as a left back in a back four, left sided centre half in a back five, or as a left wing back in a in a in a left five and in a back five. And that, that just gives us the chance to to rotate both tactically and physically. Um but what what I loved, I, I think you're right about I mean, first off the pass for the second goal, it is an exact carbon copy of the pass he didn't play to Abamyang. Yeah. In, in the game at the Etihad. Exact, and, and that shows you that we had a plan to expose exactly that part of the pitch. And in the first game, 20 minutes in, we had the chance to put Aubameyang away and go 1-0 up. And that could have been a very different game had we taken it. But he didn't take it. That, that to me, whether that's confidence, that tells me that was worked on. And that's something that he's mm. worked on. And he's realised, OK... I had the choice because everyone else saw it. So, of course, like Arsenal's analyst guys and Arteta would have seen it. And he'd probably taken that away and gone, OK, I didn't play the ball that time. I've got to make sure I play it next time. But also the the pass into Lacazette for the, for the first goal. I think that is the key pass in the whole move. It just sets everything up 
it's it's the release pass you know it's the one that breaks the press and um i i sent clive a video a week or so ago on on twitter he was talking about bellerin's body shape um and there was a guy i, I don't know exactly who he is um I don't actually follow him, but he was, uh, he was, he, he's a coach and he was highlighting the, uh, the way the Arsenal women fullbacks play, which is they do that. They like swing their hips out as if they're about to pass the ball slightly wider. And then at the last second, they shuffle, they shuffle inwards, which then opens up the central lane of the pitch. So they keep um, the player that is facing them honest and they make that player kind of they have to shuffle over to the side because they think oh, okay this is going down the line again and then at the last second you know there's a shuffle in field and there's that that pass central and um yeah the the, the tweet i sent clive to to uh, kind of illustrate this uh, the arsenal women left back katie mccabe does something exactly the same as what tierney does she kind of shuffles to go on the outside, then chops in at the last second and, and punches the ball in field on the right foot. And and that move is, is it's just so effective in terms of opening up your options, opening up the pitch. And from there, the move is easy because when you're watching it, Lacazette gets the ball and you go, yep, turn it and play it, play it wide. And then you've got Bellerin kind of underlapping on this occasion with Pepe. And everything else from that, your brain starts to fill in the gaps. But that's the pass that you don't necessarily see when you're watching. You don't go, oh, I hope Tierney passes that infield. Like when you're watching, you you kind of think, yeah, that will probably go wide again. That's the pass that makes you, that, that sets the move and makes you go, oh, yes, now I can see. It's almost like... Um, you know, it's like snooker, just seeing like three passes ahead. That is the pass that leads to the next two passes. Mm-hmm. And then and then Pepe shows the quality at the end, obviously, which he has and you need to finish the move. But it's it's just such a clever pass. And, and I think you're right. That's something that perhaps we hadn't seen from Tierney yet. And I think it's um, it's a real kind of credit to him because that's clearly something he's worked on. Yeah. And I mean... It's okay to overload the wings as a strategy, right? But like sometimes the way you get the ball into the wings in more dangerous positions is through the, the center of the pitch. And I think City, that's sort of their mo. They get the ball central and then get it out to these overloaded, you know, wide players overlapping and underlapping. And so, I, you know, yeah, that was really important. I thought it was a great piece of play. And Clive, to your point about playing out from the back, Arteta was asked, do you get nervous watching the team play out from the back? And he said, no, I get nervous when we kick it long. And I love that because possession is so important and kicking it long more often than not is just a way to have the ball coming back at you. Um, And also, gosh, you saw how many times we troubled City just by being brave and playing it out from the back. Now, brave isn't enough. You have to have the quality. So let's touch on some quality. And and I, I think, again, Danny Ceballos deserves praise and we're, don't worry, we're going to praise Granite Shaka too because he deserves it. Interesting uh, Sky Sports graphic here, though. Since Project Restart, touches Arsenal rank first. Key passes Arsenal rank first. Dribbles completed Arsenal rank first. Tackles Arsenal rank first. Interceptions Arsenal rank first. Ball recoveries Arsenal rank first. Distance covered Arsenal rank first. Touches, key passes, dribbles, tackles, interceptions, ball recovers, and distance covered first. Other than that, I think he's letting us down. Um, so, Clive, I mean, Ceballos in small spaces is exactly what we've missed. And I think, to be fair to Granite Shaka, I think having that partner who can do the small space work lets him ha- have a job that fits him as well. So maybe, let's not just praise Danny Spouse, but maybe let's praise this pairing, this partnership that seems to be growing together a bit. 
Yeah, so for, you know, I haven't always supported Daniel Tobias, particularly when we. I, I don't. When he first started, I thought he was okay. Got to Christmas and there was a few issues. I'm thinking he, he may go back in January, you know. Um, but since restart, he's come back and he's been better. But he seems to be somebody that is really almost mirrors the trajectory of Arteta. Almost, it's almost as though there are certain players that are just looking and saying. I'm actually learning something here. And if I do this, I'm going to get a chance to play. And football, sometimes you just get a bit of a break. So if Gwendouzi was playing regularly, maybe we wouldn't see this player, you know, because maybe the minutes would be shared. So Gwendouzi had a better attitude. You know, he's obviously a talented lad. So sometimes you need a break to get that continuity. I didn't think Tobias had this level of consistency. That's the thing that really is a a shock for me because I thought he was a, a player, an occasional player that lacks some of the things that we need. So I looked at him and I thought, well, you're not moving as quickly as I want you to. Mm. You're not defending as much as I want you to. You're not playing the ball forward as much as I'd like you to. So I'm going to highlight that in my in my analysis. And then you see him defending more. You see him passing forward more. You see him closer distances with Shaka more. You see him, when Bellerin's got the ball... Rather than be hiding behind somebody and Bellerin forced to go back to Mustafi, which I killed him for, he's now knocking the ball to Tobias a lot more because Tobias is there. So the negotiables about running to support, running to distract, get to your teammate to create those triangles, you can see the patterns that are starting to develop no matter who we're playing against. Whether it be Liverpool, Man City, okay, there may be less opportunity for it, but now you're starting to see partnerships and team play and patterns. And, and I think Tobias who seems to be a sort of player that needs to be loved, is really responding to the love that he's getting from this coach. Mm-hmm. And I I said the other day, I said, I think I, I think Tobias and Arteta are almost like very similar type players up to the point, particularly in Arteta's later career. And I just think he sees him as a kindred spirit. And I remember saying to Paul on the podcast, do you want to pay 35 million quid for him? Because I don't. I wouldn't mind playing 20 if we loan him next year and his 20 million mandatory fee, which they're talking about. You'd say to yourself, I'll bite their arms off for that, wouldn't you? I'd pay 35 right now. I mean, on on the basis of this, because he's only 24. I mean, he's going to get better, you would think. Yeah, so another loan. Or 23, I think he's technically. He's 23 until he's 24, sorry. Yeah, someone's already assimilated to the group. Another loan, and Arsenal can then have a mandatory purchase at the end of next season with suits of COVID situation. Real Madrid can bank the money in advance. That makes a lot of sense. We've had a really good try-by. I never thought I'd say it, but with the Granduzzi situation, the way it's happening, and potentially where the Maitland-Niles stays or goes, and where Joe Willock is at the moment and his development, you look at this guy and you're thinking, yeah, we, we need to keep you for another year minimum to help this thing keep going in the right direction. Mm, yeah. I I just like that this is a player who really looked lost at Arsenal. And Arteta found a way to not just bring him back, but to elevate him to now look like a guy who fills a role we've desperately needed. It says a lot about coaching when, you know, when a loan is going poorly and it's not your home club, I think there can be a tendency to just kind of switch off because you don't have a lot of incentive. You know, it's it's not your home club. And, and for Arteta to get 
Sabayos, not just buying in, buying in is something, you know, a cliche we use a lot, but to give him a role that he could really tear into at this level, I, I think the player and the coach deserve a lot of credit for that. I want to take a, a brief moment here, Tim, to touch on something about this performance in this game. We'll get into some of the moments too, but like, you know, I look at this lineup and apart from Maitland-Niles, who's 22, he's not a kid, these were grown-ups. This was Lacazette and Aubameyang and Pepe and Shaka and Ceballos and Tierney and Bellerin and Louise and Mustafi and Martinez. This is not Inkedia and Willick and Ganduzi and Martinelli and Saka. And by the way, that's not to dismiss those players. There's a lot of quality in that group I named. But how relevant do you think it is that this performance was done with prime age players for the most part? And that maybe whatever the talent of our kids, and I think they are quite talented and we'd better develop them. Not saying you give up on that. But this is just a reminder that having talented young kids that you bring through is important. But when you want to win things and really move up in the footballing ladder, you do it by by relying on this kind of group of players that we used in this game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always said that I, I think largely the, the young players should be squad players and, and those really should be their roles. And that, that's something that Alex Ferguson did brilliantly at United. Um, and and I, to, to your question, I think it's very relevant. I don't think it's any accident at all. You know, Saka didn't get on, did he? Um, even So even yep. you look at the substitutes, Willock came on. But other than that, it was... What it was, Kalasinac, um I can't remember the other subs, but it, it, you know, Reese Nelson didn't get on, Saka didn't get on. I, I think that's very relevant. And like you say, not to kind of shit on those guys, but th- this was, you know, this was adult day, yeah, <laughs> as it were. Um, particularly when you're playing like counter-attacking football and it requires 90 minutes of concentration and no mistakes. And look. I say that we we had a centre half pairing of Mustafi and Louise uh, with Granite Xhaka in front of them. Um, who would have thought that would be an, a, a recipe for no mistakes? But it it was because really what you want, I think, from your kids or your young players is that bit of excitement, like like Saka's given us, you know, that kind of that electric charge, but mainly going forward. Um, and usually you don't get young defenders. Um, doing that you know even in that crop of young players you name most of them are attackers or attacking midfielders um of some sort they're then they're not center halves they're not defensive midfielders that's that's not really how it works um so yeah i i I think that's totally relevant and i i i think we'll probably see that again in the final um i wouldn't be surprised at all if if saka doesn't start the final um you know and and Obviously, like the the likes of Nelson, it'll be really interesting actually to to see whether whether he goes with Maitland Niles again in that role in the final, given what Chelsea have out wide. But yeah, absolutely, this 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 was a day for kind of for calm heads. And, and listen, we've got quite a lot of players who played in semi-finals and finals before, um, who kind of who know what that occasion's about. And and the thing is, young players will make mistakes. That's kind of that's part of the deal. Um, which is why young attackers find it easier to come through because there's slightly less consequence in making that mistake in front of the opposition's goal as there is mm. in front of your own. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's I I think that won't be something that happened by accident. I'm sure that in the build-up to this game, Arteta and his coaching staff would have talked about exactly that, and particularly when they probably you know Saka is really the only one I think who'd look at and say hmm. 
maybe that was a slight surprise and it would have been between Saka and Pepe. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm sure that Pepe's level of experience would have come into it. The fact that you might only get one or two chances. As, as it turned out, we, we created quite a few chances. We did, yeah, game. openings anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, even even if, um, you know, we were on the back foot for a lot of it. And, you know, you, you need to trust that someone's going to take it. And, and look, the, most managers do this, right? Most managers do this. Look at um, Burnley and Palace play like we had to play pretty much every week. And as I said on on the last pod, that they don't play players under twenty four like at all, like not even on the bench, um, because they play survival football um, effectively, and and survival football does need adults um, in the room Ag- against um, Villa and Watford. Yeah, let, let's you know, let's have Saka on the pitch. Let's you know, let's get Inketia back in, and and rest some legs and recharge. But yeah, I I I think it's I think it's absolutely. Um, it was it was absolutely deliberate. Yeah, and, and you know what, Tim, like this is why I think it would be great to have Europa League next season, not just for the money, which I think is yep. fairly insubstantial, but like seeing what Arteta can do with the adults on the pitch, I'd love to see more adult football in the league next season. But I yep. want ESR and Enkedia and Nelson and Willock and Maitland Niles and and Saka to have chances and, and Martinelli and look, it may be the case that Saka's too good not to be in the first team. I get it, but like Without the Europa League, you just don't have enough football to offer, yeah. and you start playing those kids where maybe they're costing you a bit. Yeah, and where did Maitland Niles first play left wing back? The Europa League two mm-hmm. seasons ago, and now we can bring him in to an FA Cup semi final because he's done it. You know, yep. he he did it against um, you know Barte Borisov on a Thursday night and all of that, and that's you know two years ago, two years down the line. And and it might be the same for some of these other guys. It might not be for others, but in two years, maybe we can start Joe Willock in an FA Cup semi-final in central midfield. But yeah, I totally, um, that that's kind of the value of the Europa League and the League Cup. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's why it would be helpful to have Europa League. I mean, especially, because here's the thing, you're very rarely going to have a cluster of this many talented young players who may have an Arsenal career. Um, you might have one or two and you can sneak them in, but we've got a cluster of them. And Europa League is a great way to get them playing time. Without it, suddenly maybe you're looking at another loan for ESR or a loan for Reese Nelson and, and their careers at Arsenal slip away. Clive, uh, Tim mentioned Pepe. Let's talk about Pepe. In many ways, this game is is everything that I love about this player and the excitement I have. And in some ways, it's the things that worry me about him really hitting the heights he can. It was a on and off game for Pepe. He he makes the first goal brilliantly, and I, I tweeted this out, and you get abuse anytime you mention Ozil, and I, my wording was probably bad, but that cross, right half space, top of the box, in swinger to Aubameyang, Ozil made a living delivering crosses like that. And I don't, I said it like that on Twitter, and people were like, oh, so what, he was just a cross merchant? No, he did a million things brilliantly, and twice the player Pepe has been so far. We'll see what happens with Pepe. My point is, that was an area that Ozil thrived with delivery and Pepe delivers that ball. And I think there's that he has that same kind of in-swinger from the right half space on that left foot that that can cause a lot of problems. But like he has that ball that he delivers. He has um, the through ball. Lacazette almost puts him through and he kind of gets it stuck under his foot and he has to cut back to the, you know, back um, infield. And so it's a missed opportunity there, unfortunately. Um, the the goal the second goal he does a really nice job holding the ball up and giving it back to Tierney instead of letting that chance go 
I thought he was switched on defensively too, but once again, it's a 60-minute performance, not a 90-minute performance. So how do you how do you evaluate Pepe? I thought he looked so dangerous at times, and we see that he can be a critical player for us. Some of the stuff just didn't come off, and then I felt in the latter stages, we started to see him maybe stop doing the off-the-ball work that that he had been doing. And so I, I think a 60-minute performance, but you know that 90-minute performance is still not quite there yet for Pepe. No, so um, my evaluation won't change on him really. I think he is a superb talent. So when when Urzel and him first in the five channels were playing next to each other, I, I did say straight away that I, I felt they were duplicating each other, and they were very similar players. I started to look at Urzel's Verda uh, Bremen type videos, and when he was young, uh, was it Verda or Schalke? I can't remember which one. And uh, basically. If you look at a young Ozil, look a lot what Pepe does. It's very, very similar. And so, for me, Pepe is a creative scoring forward. So once you have that in your mind, all you got to do is get this boy on the ball as much time as you can. Because he does things creatively, which are very unique and very interesting. How he manipulates the ball. He's got, he's got an unbelievable way of kicking the football. He's got really loose ankles. Gets really good contact on the ball on his left foot. He can shape that ball any way he wants. He can curl it. He has got a really special ability on the football. One-on-one, he attracts people. You need those players in the game. Those players break systems. So for me now, it's all about how can we get more out of him. So in the last game against first Liverpool, I think he played the full 90 minutes. Mm. Yep. So in this game, on the second goal, second goal appears, Pepe plays his part in the second goal. He does a header out, which is brilliant, a classic regain, retain. Don't just clear it. Try to regain it and see if we can get the first two passes off. Pops off, gets the next phase, freezes Walker, drops it off, and away we go, right? So, so that to me is classic. But Willock was already ready to come on, if you notice. He was ready to come on. So for me, there was always a plan. 90 minutes versus Liverpool, work you up to a level. And then 60, 70 minutes versus Man City, and then you're coming off, regardless of the game stage. At 1-0, Willock was coming on. 2-0, he still came on. It's a bit of a shame. And when you just scored, you feel really ebullient. So you want to stay on. And um. May I, I sense a bit of disappointment in Pepe to, to be taken off after we just sort of Good. scored. Yeah. But I've got no worries about the player. I've got zero worries about him. It's just making sure we can get people around him to understand what he can do, get him more touches, keep him connected to the group, to the game. Don't freeze him out to the touchline where he just waits for the ball and gets smashed with two people because only got one way to go. Touches, touches, touches. That would be my directive to him. How many touches can you get? How many times can you receive the ball? How many touches can you get to get us going? And just keep building his game that way because the more times he's on it, the better we are. And he had two major, it wasn't just him, but two major parts in our goals, right? So it's not, I'm not worried about him, Elliot. I don't worry about him at all. It's just a matter of us building a group of players that allow him to feel more connected to the group. If he's disconnected, we're going to get a disconnected benign performance. And we've seen a few of those, haven't we, where he hasn't received the ball the way he wants to, and he just disappeared from the group. So that's the message for me. Stay connected. More touches. Mm. Do your thing. Do your thing. Yeah, I I mean, I I think Arteta has evolved his use of Pepe, and I think the days of him being isolated 
out on the touchline or are gone. It certainly looks like he doesn't want to use him that way anymore, and thank God for that. Um, this is this is an interesting thing here because we are 43 minutes in, and Tim, we haven't mentioned Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang yet, really. Um, <laughs> he's in on goal. He, he doesn't convert. Then he's in on goal, and he does. Then he has a couple other moments that he could have been dangerous, and then he scores again quite brilliantly coming in from the left wing. He popped up everywhere. He He's a guy who... I mean, I don't know how he can still run at all. At 31, his his endurance, his energy, and his burst is incredible. Um, I certainly did think by the end of this game, I, I thought he should be subbed because he was he was dead on his feet. But it, it is interesting. We can talk about Tierney as a potential man of the match. Ceballos and Shaka were heroic. Louise deserves huge praise. We haven't talked about Lacazette yet, who I thought was both a candidate for our best midfielder and a fantastic false nine. Um and yet the guy who scored the two goals that win us the cup semifinal, not not in the debate. There's a part of me that thinks we have forgotten that scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in football and how important it is. Mm. Um, can we maybe put some focus back on how important it is? I know I love Aubameyang, and I'm not trying to be agenda-driven here because we've talked about a lot of other players, but you can only go so far before you talk about the guys that wins you the cup semi, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said on the instant reaction pod, that's, that's clutch um, right there. And... And and I guess one of the um, one of the things I, I think level at Aubameyang is is too strong a phrase, but he hadn't done it against City yet. He he hadn't really laid laid a glove on City yet. I, d- I don't think that's really his fault because when you don't have the ball, uh, that's a problem. Um, but but it, it was it was really really masterful. And when you when you look at where he gets the two goals from as well, I mean I I still have. Um, reservations about him playing wide not because i'm desperate not not because it doesn't impact his goal tally it clearly doesn't it's just like i think you're looking generally you're looking for something slightly different from a from a wide forward you want a mixture of creativity and goals and we only really get one of those from a bamyang albeit at an elite level but when you look at this game i mean he basically has three big chances um from how much possession did we have like in the twenties, like twenty-one percent, twenty-three percent, something. And yeah, Clive, Clive with... picked the over when I said over under the Liverpool game. He was wrong, but we we definitely played better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and he's still come out with three big chances. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, like the, the first goal, we we've seen that before. That that Pepe to Aubameyang on the back post, and that's that's a really really nice link up. Um, and and I think Pepe playing better, one of the really really good things that that does is it diversifies your threat and it means that you know defenders can't just stand on Aubameyang's toes anymore if they think that Pepe could do something um you know it's it's kind of I know like when um when we signed Pepe there was a lot of kind of oh maybe Lacazette Aubameyang and Pepe can be the new you know for me no Mane and Salah and and I kind of thought oh, I'm not sure it'll work quite like that this is the closest we've got to that I think by having them as like a, a kind of inverted V with uh, Lacazette coming away and Pepe and Aubameyang pushed right up but pushed wide that this is the kind of the closest we've come to it and it's a bit like you know when you watch Liverpool sometimes, and um, and they score a goal, and you think, why the fuck did what? Why have they left Salah so much space? Why have they left Mane so much space? And and you realise it's because like, well, if you, like like Liverpool give you a choice to make, right? They go, yeah, you can you can double mark Salah if you like. That just means that Mane's more free, and vice versa. That's the choice they give you. 
And um, and obviously Arsenal are not there with this front three yet. But if we can get Pepe like more consistent and playing more like this and and having those really decisive moments, then you come closer to something like that where you go, OK, double Mark Aubameyang on the back post if you want, because Pepe, that means Pepe's only got one player to beat. And guess what? He'll beat him and he'll do that iron robin thing and cut in on his left foot. And so what you're doing is you're just giving the opposition more problems and and look, like Aubameyang is 31. He has been doing this season in, season out for a long, long time, and nobody is able to stop him. It's it's kind mm. of the same as Aguero. Aguero's been in the Premier League for nearly a decade, and you look at him and you just go, that there's no stopping him. Otherwise, someone would have done it by now. And um and what I re- but what I really like about Aubameyang as well is that everyone knows that everyone knows his goal scoring qualities, but it's his humility as well in, in playing that role, which is probably not the role he absolutely wants to play um but he does it and he doesn't complain and he works really really hard and and you know the the, the way he sniffs that first chance in particular and and just after just after he's missed a fairly big chance and I, I won't go big on that again because i kind of talked about that in the instant reaction pod mm-hmm. but i thought I, I thought you were spot on that by the way tim about how you described exactly why he missed that first chance being closed down from that side, it stopped him shaping it into the corner, out to in, and I thought that was really good, mate. So well said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I I saw quickly today a, a discussion you were having, Elliot, with uh, with Matt Giant Gooner on the Discord about um, about that chance, and, and actually I think Matt made an interesting point, not in terms of the debate you were having over the ease of the chance, but I think he used the phrase "you need to normalise strikers missing chances" because. The reality is most chances are missed. You know when you see a really easy chance missed and then you look at the XG and it's something like 0.3 and you think, wow, that means two-thirds of the time that chance is actually missed. And the, the point is actually about critical mass, right? It's about getting in those positions and getting those chances again and again. That's what Aubameyang does. It's volume. He, he's a good finisher. He is not necessarily going to score with every single chance, but he will get chances. And and when he gets them, even in a game like this, um, you know, and where, you know, he got a couple and he made the most of them. And, and what what's quite promising about this as well in terms of, you know, if we can find a way to dominate those teams you know, in the bottom 14 of the league, what we saw on Saturday was potentially, that is a really good counter-attacking front three. Mm. We know Pepe can play counter-attack football, so can Aubameyang. And and that's really promising against the bigger teams. And we nearly saw it at Anfield, to be fair, earlier in the season with Emery, where Pepe got away a couple of times. But um, I think Pepe and Aubameyang had big chances they didn't score. But that's a promising thing for our progression as well. If we can say, right, if we can find a way to be more dangerous against the chaff, when we play these big teams, we can say, okay, come at us with your 70% possession because we got Pepe and Aubameyang who will just run into that space. You don't have to give us the ball many times, um, but we'll, we'll, we're able to do something with it. And just to close, like, uh, you know, on WhatsApp, about a minute before that goal was scored on our WhatsApp back channel, I said there is space. Like Kyle Walker and um, the left back, was it Zinchenko who was playing at left back? I can't remember. Mendy. 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 It's like they, they are leaving space there. And if we can just clip a ball, even a hopeful ball behind there, I think we can hurt them again. Yeah. Well, so... <laughs> 
Um, what's interesting to me with the Obama, th- was, all right, I, I'm going to just dig into it just for a second. So uh, Matt, Giant Gunner, had to go at me in the Discord for being an idiot, which let's be honest, <laughs> he's not wrong. But basically saying like, you understand probability, you understand XG, that's not an easy first chance that Obama Yang has and to say he should score, he, it's a bad miss, is unfair. Yeah, okay, may- maybe so. I mean, I, I think as a casual fan, like, I'm not a casual fan, I'd like to think, but like, you know, as a casual fan comment to say like, he should score there when he's in on goal, I think is natural. But w- what I think bothered me just about that finish, Tim, very simply is just hitting it straight into the chest of the keeper. That's it. That's all it is. I'm not saying it's an easy chance. I'm not saying he did anything wrong. It's just at that point, you know, you don't give yourself a chance to score when you hit it straight at the keeper. That's all. I don't want to go into it anymore. Cause look, I love the player. He had a brilliant game. He scores the two goals. He wins us the semifinal and long may he reign. So I don't have anything else to say about it. Clive, what I do want to say is about Lacazette though. It is funny how football has sliding doors moments that sometimes are within your control and sometimes are not. If Eddie Nketiah doesn't get sent off, I don't think uh, that Lacazette is playing these last few games. And he has really rehabilitated himself and his form over these games where Enkedia has been unavailable. He scores brilliantly against Spurs, unfortunately in a loss. I thought he played pretty well against Liverpool, and I thought he was brilliant in this game. He's playing the false nine now with more confidence and comfort, collecting the ball well in midfield and progressing it well. Um, You know, again, dropping into space for that first goal to receive it from Tierney to turn and deliver it to Pepe. He had a couple of moves like that. I, I just think... He's doing a little bit of everything right now, and it's partly, you know, by his great work and partly by the good fortune that Enkedia just wasn't available. So, I mean, do you suspect that if Enkedia had been available, Lacazette wouldn't be playing? And and how much more has he been giving us? I mean, how impressed are you with the way he's playing this? Let's, I mean, I, I don't know if you call it a false nine role because sometimes you just push back so far that the number nine is sitting deeper. But like, how impressed are you with the way he's playing the role? I do think it's a false nine role, nine and a half tight role. I think it's, I think it's interesting that he's how he does it differently to Eddie. Obviously, Eddie's young; he runs about a bit more and he presses more aggressively. Lacazette presses more intelligently. I think he presses the interior better. I think Eddie is a major experience, isn't it? You know, I, I always come back to it. When I first saw Lacazette, he did not play number nine; he played number ten. He played behind a centre-forward and he controlled that area behind a running centre-forward ahead of him and he sat on the holding midfielder and he prompted play and they cut the ball back to the edge of the area and he smashed in shots. If you check all his YouTubes, they're smashed shots from at Leon days with the ball being cut back to him as a second forward. He was never a lone forward for me in the Premier League, number nine, running into channels. No chance. He's not a Tammy Abraham, for example, a player like that. And he's not a player like Aubameyang can be, you know, a sprinting player from the middle of the pitch going going deep into the side. So he's got he's got rockets in his boots. We all we can see that. But we we look at him and he looks like somebody that needs to be perfect physically to be where he should be. And from the start of this season, we saw his ankle injury. And, you know, I, I did sort of say I had worries about him. He was my player that I think would fall off this season. And it, it's been so proven. It's not just the ankle injury, but I just don't think he's looked physically and emotionally really, really happy. But Liverpool game, 
he was our he was probably our best player Liverpool game. So we don't win that game without him doing what he does, and that showed a lot of personality because Aubameyang was on the pitch. And I thought that was a real boost for him. And in this game, again, like everybody, he played his 8 out of 10 game. And his intelligence is really noticeable in this role where almost the responsibility of goal scoring has been taken away because you've got these other guys around him which are, who are sharper, can run bigger distances. And I think they're better, I think they're better finishers in one-on-one situations. But he can still score. So he is... I know it's a, I know it's a little bit... Um, lazy but he, he is our version of Firmino he, he's the closest we have to that role that drops in and Eddie's more of a more of a, a pinpointed centre forward that's really the, the point of the arrow so that's what I meant to say mm. that goes first over the hill mm-hmm. you know what I mean and he's first one and everyone follows him whereas Lacazette said he's a bit more cuter and I think I think it's just another style I keep coming back to it flexibility if, if Lacazette was to go I would think we would buy a player that's a, that's a combining player. I don't think Aubameyang is going to be centre forward for his team. We'll buy somebody, you know, like a Memphis Depay, example, before everyone gets, gets at me, or an Edward. If you look at them on YouTube, look at how they play. They are connectors. They're mm-hmm. not just scorers. They are connectors. We will buy a connection player because we have two young sprinters in Martinelli and and Eddie, who can sprint and be the point of the arrow over the top, first one over, and they've got so much energy. So if we're going to replace Lacazette, it's going to be with a taller connection player that allows us to have the physical presence when Aubameyang's not there and also allows us to play that false nine road and get to get our two killers on the outside going. So fair play to him. He's done brilliant. Is he an upgrade opportunity? To me, there is an upgrade there. Doesn't mean I haven't enjoyed what he's done the last few games, and we got two or three more games to go. And if he keeps playing like this, we're going to be in a good place. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it it speaks volumes. It speaks volumes about the coach that we're seeing players be rehabilitated in this way. You know, whether it's Ceballos or Lacazette or Ainsley Maitland-Niles on this day. Uh, David Luiz on this day, you know he he seems to have a feel for what he can get out of his players, and he's he's getting it out of them. Tim, I think we should turn this conversation now to Mikel Arteta, and it is a signature victory for him. I, I'm not that he hasn't had other good wins, but it, it is a signature win in in an important moment against a really big club, and well, not a really big club. They're not a big club. They're just a really good team. But it, it is it is a moment that I think again, galvanizes the support of the players for him, of the fans for him, and and gives him that much more credibility when he goes and asks for resources and to be backed in, in the market. Now, look, being backed with resources that aren't there is not something you can necessarily do. So I, I, I accept that what's available for the club to, to use and, and support him with is, is a conversation for another day. But this this, to me, was great because it wasn't just getting the result. It was a performance where I could see the plan. The plan was building off things we've been doing. It got performances from players that he seems to be unlocking to some extent. It had all the hallmarks of really good coaching. And I mean, at one point, it had Pep literally in a conversation with an invisible assistant coach who wasn't there. Which I, which I thought, if you haven't seen that video, go look it up. So, um, 
I mean, is this for you so far really the high watermark for for Arteta as Arsenal coach? And and I mean, I, I think you'd have to say now that it it's driving out the skepticism about whether he was the right appointment. He's he's certainly showing that that he has what it takes to to coach this team up and get it performing if we just get him the talent he needs. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in, in terms of galvanizing, I thought it was interesting. Kieran Tierney said after the game that one of the things that really gave them confidence in the second half was what they did against Liverpool. So they, you know, they were they were convinced that they could do it, essentially, because they'd just done it against a slightly better team um, on the Wednesday. In, in terms of, um, you know, Mikel Arteta's stock and what it does. Yes, absolutely. It brings all of those things. What's super impressive about this as well for me is that a lot of the players he's getting a tune out of, they're not exactly in line for big bumper contracts at the moment. A lot of these players, like as as good as the last couple of results have been, we can still look at this with a sober set of eyes and say a lot of these players have to go. And I'm sure they know that as well because the manager keeps saying it, <laughs> that he needs better players. So on one hand, that's quite a risky strategy, um, not not just to your board, but to your actual players to say, yeah, these players aren't good enough. So to still get a tune out of them when, quite frankly, a lot of them, if things go as they should, won't be here in a year or two is is really, really impressive. And what it brings me back to, I, w- I was thinking the other day about, I remember saying this on the podcast just after we appointed him, when we were on the way to Everton um, away back in December, the day after his appointment was announced, um, back in the day when you could actually be around people <laughs> go to football matches and and what was and and so it's like a midday kickoff at Everton right so there's only one train that gets you there on time so like 40% of the traveling contingent is on this plane and uh, on this train rather and I just remember it was buzzing it was so alive with conversation and I just I remember like my ears were pricking up and I was like I haven't heard this in a couple of years now, like getting trains to away games has been like almost solemn. Like, like people feel like, I don't know, they're being like marched off or something like th- that. They don't really want to be there. And it's, it's this kind of slightly misplaced sense of duty. And, and it was the first time. And what the reason it really grabbed me was because I thought it would be a divisive appointment just on the basis that, you know, we, we had a long time to discuss the Arteta thing before it happened. And I thought and still think that the opinion on actually doing it was quite divided, that there were some people who thought, no, do it. He really talks a good game. There were some people who said, definitely don't do it. He's a rookie. And then there were probably people like me who are in slightly in the middle where I just thought, you know what? Roll the dice because we might as well. And I'm quite curious to see how this turns out. And, you know, what else are we going to do, quite frankly? And, and you know, the phrase I've used many, many times on this podcast is, I hope the players are as enthused as I am by what he says and by, like, the mes- his messaging and his communication. And I think what we're seeing is that they are, is that they are enthused by it, even, and, and basically, look, the ones who aren't, aren't playing, um, which which, you know, is creating, I guess, this culture of accountability. It makes him stronger with those decisions as well. Nobody's talking about Mesut Ozil today. Nobody was talking about Mesut Ozil on Sunday. No one's talking about Matteo Genduzzi. Um, you know, all right, partly because that's been going on for a few weeks, but no one's saying we missed those players today. Um, and and so he's built himself credibility to make those kinds of decisions as well for well said, yep. that 
that type of vindication and and yeah like i I think his stock really has grown um, in the last couple of games. And, and you know, he's he's managed to get them to play a style of football that I don't think he really wants to play long term. But again, it's just building his accountability, uh, sorry, his credibility within the club to say, look, I can do this. I can play survival mid-table football. Um, so imagine what I can do if you give me something, you know, something a bit better. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's... And... and um, after the Spurs game as well, I think he said something. He did that like Guardiola thing of like puffing them up and just saying, look, if they play like that in every game, they'll win more than they lose. You know, I'm I'm proud of the effort they put in and things like that. And and as fans, none of us want to hear that when we just lost the North London derby. But when you think back, you think, yeah, the, the players probably needed to hear that at that point. They needed to hear, nope, you, you did the right thing today. It didn't go our way, but keep doing that. Keep going for it. And uh, and again, you're just building that kind of that belief with the players, which I think has been there with the fans from the beginning. Um, and and I, th- I think it's been there more or less with the players from the beginning. But obviously, you know, good results just bring that out more and more and more. And uh, and and yeah, and and I think, like I say, we can still be sober about um, about what we've actually got in this squad, but. You know that the manager is beginning to emerge as the star yeah. at the moment, and that's that's good because the manager is the star at Liverpool. The manager is the star at Manchester City. Look at the teams that are falling away in the European pecking order. Barcelona haven't had a star manager for quite a while, and 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 I think the way that modern, I, I think modern football is almost swinging back to having that that really integral head coach figure, not quite doing the Wenger Ferguson thing, but just having that charismatic figurehead. And in terms of attracting players, you know, Arteta's talking about that at the moment. I think that's a really big sell for us. Yeah. And I mean, it's to me, look, whether he wants to play this way or not, I think what I like about it is he's picked a way of playing with the group he has and built on it. Um, you know, and and so you're seeing improvement, as you'd expect. And I think we all have to remember, like, he comes in basically around Boxing Day, you know, around the holiday program, when there's no time to train, and he's firefighting right from the start. Then he starts to make a little bit of progress, and then there's COVID. Um, you know, I think what we're seeing now is the first time he's had a consistent chance to work with the group and and implement a strategy, and we're seeing that same sort of progression that we were starting to see before the the pandemic layoff. So, which is not an expression you expect to use, um, just six months ago or so. But so, yeah, look, it it is hugely encouraging. I I think there were some, there were nervy moments, of course. I mean, Mustafi nearly gives away a penalty. I mean, of all the players, I think we sort of coaxed Mustafi through this game. You know, I'm not trying to kill the guy. I just think he, he was right on the brink at times, but I, I think we did coax him through it. So, you know, that's encouraging. Um, I think Emmy Martinez, who, we haven't mentioned specifically in this pod yet. It's funny. We, we aren't mentioning him much because we just sort of kind of gotten used to him being a good keeper, a really good, solid keeper. And I don't think City had too many fantastic chances that, you know, he didn't have to do anything spectacular to save the result like he did against Liverpool, but he was consistent. And, and maybe his best contribution in this game was with the ball at his feet. He looked really confident playing out from the back and uh, was part of the buildup for our first goal. So huge kudos to him. I would say, Clive, that uh, I want to give you a chance to have a word about Arteta 
but before we say goodbye, I want to also just quickly peek ahead to um, to the cup final. So you you want to just sort of pile on the the Arteta love fest because he deserves it today. Before we, we just have a quick nibble at the yeah. final. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a big admirer, really, and it's it's, it's classic really good leadership setting down your structures setting down what's allowable what's not allowable treating people with consistency having a plan when you have the ball have the plan when you don't have the ball looking at your defensive transitions looking at your offensive transitions there's just a way to look at this and and what i see is a very very intelligent coach and more importantly the players obviously like him because he's teaching them things all these players can play, but they want to learn. They want to be understood. They want to be their careers protected. They want to feel as though people are recognizing their strong points and weak points. They want to know they can be supported. They want to know what that the coach knows what they're good at and when to use them. And this guy, for me, his eye on players is really, really good. It's going to be so interesting to see the type of players that he gets because um, sometimes you're often judged when you're new to a club on your initial hires. Anybody that comes into your place at work, a senior person, if it, the first two or three people they hire tells you about him, what he cares about. You know, and football's slightly different because the first hires are normally gaps in the squad. Things are not there or need to be upgraded. So it's going to be interesting to see what he sees as, as a priority. But from where he started off, it's really, really good. And if he, I was just looking at a tweet just now, sent to you. If you'd have come in a few weeks sooner, then maybe it'll be us, Chelsea, Man United, and Leicester going for that top four position. Mm-hmm. And where we're sitting there watching this now, and I'm watching Leicester, they're not better than us. I watched Manchester United yesterday. The first decent team they came up against, they fell over. They fell over. Chelsea, you know, you look at them, and we're their back players now. Zuma's running around trying to kick everything, can't can't do it. Tamori started off really bright. He's not in it. Christensen, he's falling away. Aspilicueta's getting older. They've got words through the back door. Now, Alonso's not fully convinced people. The goalkeeper's throwing them in. So, yes, they're getting Kai Havertz. Yes, they've got so many wide forwards. It's unbelievable. But they've got work to do as well. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what, what Arteta does it's just a shame we're not where we should be and the conversation that we should be having because we fell asleep at the wheel towards the end of last season and um it is what it is yeah well look the important thing is we're here now and I I like you know I like that we're getting excited about Arteta right now but I I think what's really exciting to think about is how much more he can do if this isn't how he really wants to coach the team and he's doing it because of, you know, the, the resources at his disposal, it gets you kind of excited for what he could do if he had more of the pieces he needs. Um, and, and just it's that much more exciting. Let's just quickly, quickly look ahead. I actually think Chelsea's the better matchup for us. Clive, I'll stay with you just for a second. Mm. Um, they're vulnerable to the counterattack. They are vulnerable, uh, to being attacked particularly, in wide positions. I mean, if they choose to start Marcus Alonso against us in the final, they didn't, I, I think they started Emerson against us the last time we played, but if they start Marcus Alonso, I mean, Hector Bellerin ever since Alonso elbowed him in the head has just eaten Alonso for lunch. He's, he's loved playing against him. We've had a lot of joy going up against his wing when he's played. So I, I like what I think we could do in the counter 
attacking aspects of the game against Chelsea. I mean, do you do you feel that it's a better matchup for us? And we certainly owe them one for the uh, the last cup final. Yeah, it's interesting that Chelsea Man United game was a three at the back sort of matchup yesterday, and um, I think potentially we'll we'll do that again, obviously. And it's going to be interesting what we do on the right hand side because although you said that about Hector, I actually think if I'm looking at this. I think that's their strong point. I've got a feeling Mustafi's got a hamstring. Not sure how bad it is. But maybe for this game, although I thought Mustafi was perfect for the City game because he's just a little bit sharper on his feet than Rob Holding. Because Chelsea have a more of an aerial threat in Giroud and Alonso, they've got players like that. I think... you got to play Mustafi. That's his strength. That's his well, one thing. No, he's our best no, defender in the air, no, right? No, Holding... Look, I'm no fan of Rob Holding, but horses for courses, right? They've got giants at the back in in, in Zuma, etc. They will put the ball in the air. They we've got Tammy Abraham, they've got Giroud. This will be an, a more of an aerial game. They've got a players who can cross the ball. This might be a game for Rob Holding. This might be a game for Matt Niles on the right hand side. I think he's a better one on one defender than than Bellerin. This might be that game, but I think we're going to have opportunities to progress it. We're going to have opportunities to, to score. I think it's a slightly better matchup for us, only because Manchester United are unbelievably quick on the counter-attack. If they go and press the button with pace, it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, in finals, one chance changes a lot. I say, I just think Chelsea, we owe them. Baku still hurts me massively. Um, we owe them. There's a lot of motivation there. There's a lot on this game, 20, 30 million pounds. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pleased. I'm pleased it's Chelsea, but it's a lot of work to do. But I think we can get at their back line. That's the key. And I don't think they've got a solid goalkeeper as well. So there's opportunities there for us if we take them. Yeah, I, I mean, the symmetry with 2017 is crazy, right? I mean, it's just crazy. Um, it was 2017, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and we do owe them. I mean, Tim, your final word on that. I, I, I have to admit, I think that talent-wise, you know, look, Chelsea, Chelsea had the better team. They've been better this season. There's no debating it. Um, but I, I think matchup-wise, it probably just would have been the matchup we'd prefer to have. I think the way Rashford and Martial can run at you, the way Pogba can control the, the middle of the pitch, not that he did against Chelsea particularly, um, versus maybe the slightly more physical but less pacey threat up the middle from Chelsea. Now, they they can threaten you, you know, on the wing if they decide to start someone like Pulisic, who could be could be a little tricky one-on-one, but I, I like the counterattacking opportunities, as I said, and that's how we're playing right now. So you have a, an instinct about this one, and if, if you think the matchup maybe just maybe is a little more favorable for us? Yeah, just by a smidgen. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be, it was going to be a difficult final, whoever whoever we play. We, we're playing someone who's finishing above us by by some distance. Yeah. So, um, you know, that tells you something. But yeah, I, 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 I kind of hoped for Chelsea um, of the two, which is not necessarily to say I think we'll win. It's just I think we have a slightly better chance. And I think the reason for that is that Chelsea's defence is is their weak spot. Um, it really is. Whereas United, I think, are a little bit more secure at the back, um, albeit they didn't show it in the semi-final, uh, or maybe they, their goalkeeper didn't show it in the semi-final. And, and Hilariously, we should add. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, which is weird, right? Because we played Chelsea at home and lost, and we beat Manchester United at home. But I, I do think this is slightly different Manchester United now. 
Um, and and Chelsea, you know, I think they got a little bit lucky against us at the Emirates, and I I do think we're we're slightly stronger now, um, and a, and a little bit more kind of cognizant of what we're doing. Look, the the th- the, the real theme that's run through um, since since we've had Arteta, I think, is um, how often we've gone behind, which is not very often. Um, and and since kind of project restart, we haven't gone behind very often, and and I really think that this will be one of those first goal wins um, type things. And particularly now, we can I think draw some strength from from the idea that perhaps we can we can take a little bit of pressure. But um, but you know, look, it was only a week ago we went one 0 up against Spurs and ended up losing two one. But you know, I I do think. Chelsea are very dangerous going forward. We know all about Olivier Giroud. I, the, the reason I slightly favour them is just that at the back, I, I don't think they're up to much. And I think we can hurt them, particularly because, you know, we do have quality there. That's where we have our quality, right? Pepe, Aubameyang, you know, Lacazette. That, that's where the quality in our team is is really concentrated. Even if we don't have the right offensive balance and we perhaps don't have enough players um, that can create that's where we can really hit them, and 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 I make you right. I think on the on the counter attack, um, you know, we we could potentially have some joy. I think what's quite interesting about this matchup is one thing. I, I think the job Lampard has done has been wildly overrated, um, I and I think he escapes a lot of criticism because of his name and who he is. Um, and this is, you know, the, the top four. One of the tragedies of our season is that fourth is really low-hanging fruit this season. Even Leicester have blown it, probably. Um, in, in a vaguely competent season, we really could have had fourth. And I think Chelsea are, uh, you know, slightly, you know, I get. I guess to expand on the theme of the beginning of the podcast, they're slightly less bald <laughs> than some of the competition. But... Um, but one thing Lampard has actually been quite good at and that he showed at the Emirates was he can make in-game changes quite well. And I think actually that's quite interesting. You're seeing that with a lot of these young coaches like Solskjaer, Arteta and Lampard. You're seeing them switching between back threes and back fours. And we saw that in the semi-final as well. So they're actually not quite as easy to read. Um, and I think that's somewhere where, again, not just the kind of figurehead aspect of coaching, you can see that the demand on the coach is going up all the time. It is not enough now to have a plan and put your 11 out um, at the beginning of the game. It's it's what you do during the 90 minutes as well. And And to be fair to him, I do think Lampard's got that in his locker, the ability to change things. Mm, I... I... I'm going to be nervous, but I I welcome this challenge, and I think if there was a team we wanted to face, you know this this would be it. There's a lot of reasons I feel that way. In part because I think they're that fourth place team right now. I mean, I I think they're the team that that clearly. Well, we'll we'll see next season. I mean, the the moves they're making this summer may put them another level up and beyond us. But that that's the t- we're not measuring ourselves with City and Liverpool in the short term, but we are measuring ourselves with someone like Chelsea, and so we have that opportunity. We have. Uh, some revenge we owe them, uh, certainly on Olivier Giroud as well. The less said about that, the better. And I think there's a matchup there that we can exploit. It's a, I think it's a chance also for Arteta to show, show as you said, you know that he is maybe a, a cut above Frank Lampard. Which, to be fair, I don't think super hard. I think he's been overly praised for a mediocre performance. But that's a, a topic for another day. We'll, we'll look forward to the final when we get to it. We've still got a couple of league games. Villa and Watford would be interesting. There's still a path to to Europa League football through the league. 
Uh, as Tim astutely pointed out, he didn't think that was gone. And um, it's not gone. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So let's leave it there. A, a fantastic day. A day for celebrating. A, a day for feeling good about our future. Feeling good about our coach. Uh, really respecting the, the hard work that was put in by the players, but also the quality of the performance. Maybe a, a little contrast with the Liverpool game. A fun week. A week that started off difficult and, and ended really excitingly. And we have a cup final. Uh, what a difference that makes in a season to have something to look forward to like that. Paul's on Twitter. Uh, Paul's not here. Paul is on Twitter. Pause my pants. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Stroberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I think I probably need to take a day off talking into a microphone from the sounds of, sounds of things. But uh, no time. We got a game tomorrow. So uh, you know what? Enjoy the cup semifinal for just another few hours and then turn your attention to the next game because it's uh, it could be a fun one. Maybe a chance for Arteta ball to go up a level. We'll see. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Bill, no.